0: Don't you just love it when justice prevails? When the bad guys get what they deserve. John Wayne, the Duke, Clint Eastwood, Bruce Willis, Arnold, (laughs) all our heroes, you know. Um, It's great when the bad guys get what they deserve. And I love it when I hear the stories from International Justice Mission of how another band of human traffickers has been rounded up and they've been prosecuted and put in jail and those children and women have been uh, rehabilitated I love it when justice prevails or my favorite when the guy you're driving down the road doing hundred miles an hour kilometers an hour sorry that's my wife is miles um, doing 100 kilometers an hour, and this guy comes screaming up behind you and slams on his brakes, and he's riding your tail two feet from your bumper, around the curves and stuff, and as soon as he finds this nice solid yellow line, and it's a little bit of a straightaway, he blasts by you. Five minutes later, down the road, you see the lights, and you say, yes! (laughs) There's justice. You can relate. Well, you know, you do the crime, you do the time that kind of thing and there are times when we like to see justice done but then there's God's kind of justice do you remember Uzzah? David decided he's going to move the Ark of the Covenant from one place maybe to his, his own tent and they load the, the cart on, they load the Ark on a cart pulled by oxen and the oxen steps in a gopher hole and Uzzah puts up his hands to keep the ark from falling off, touches the ark and boom, he's dead. Justice. God's kind of justice. Instant, immediate. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Ask them about justice. Or Adam and Eve, ask them about justice. God's kind of justice, swift and sure. But it has a certain flavor about it that makes me uncomfortable, an aroma that's often scary. And with justice, one's, one lives life in fear, worrying about have I done everything right? Am I going to make a mistake? What about the sins I've committed? What's God going to do about that? It's kind of scary when you think about God's justice. seeing that justice gets done is often about revenge. It's about getting even, tit for tat, an eye for an eye. Keeping score. Justice has this uncomfortable side to it. Well, let's just take a brief look at God's justice. Oh, sorry, this is just a brief look at God's justice. And while it sounds good and looks great on the surface it should also be cause for concern because paul said in romans 323 for all have sinned all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and then in 623 he says for the wages of that sin is death that's pretty hard stuff ask us adam and eve the wages of sin is death. And if we were left in our raw and unforgiving condition, our circumstances and our future would look pretty bleak. But here's the good news, and we sang about it already this morning. There is grace. God's grace. Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for us who claim Jesus as our Lord. The law of the Spirit who gives life Has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. We're no longer bound by the law or to be judged for our sins. We're no longer held to account by these rules and subject to justice. Well, the second part of that verse in Romans 6 23 says, Well, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. The gift of God. And if we follow that other scripture, 3.23, says, goes on to verse 24. If we find that, sorry, we find that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice for atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. There's hope. If it weren't for God's grace, we'd be left with his justice and wrath. And thanks be to God for his grace so we can move beyond that justice to grace. He loved us enough not to leave us without hope. And he loved us enough to provide a way of escaping his justice, and that way was through the sacrifice of his sons, in whom we have forgiveness and grace. So the key word here is grace. Paul said in Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, Characteristics of God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir. We know all this stuff. Um, but I wanted to to kind of give us a reflection of what justice is really like and grace which is what I really want to talk about this morning. The wonderful life we have that's available to us through God's grace. A counselor named David Seaman summed up up his career this way. He said, many years ago I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. One is the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace. The failure to accept that His grace actually works. The failure to accept that it actually works in us. And he said, secondly, it's the failure to give out that unconditional grace to others, to share it. So that's the two things, the two patterns that he found in his work as a counselor. And he said, we read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace. But that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions, the level of our inner being. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. Incarnation? No, other religions had some different versions of of gods appearing in human form, was it the resurrection. Again, apparently other, other religions had accounts of people returning from death. And the debate went on for some time until good old C.S. Lewis arrives on the scene. And he says, what's the rumpus about? He asked and, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions, and Lewis responded with this. Oh, that's easy, it's grace. God's grace. That's what's unique about Christianity. And after some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The idea of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Another fellow, Gordon MacDonald, said, The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You don't need to be a Christian to build houses, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick. It says there's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer God's grace. Where else can the world go to find this grace? Well, that's quite a responsibility for us in the church, isn't it? Where else can the world go to get this grace? It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. So, this morning I want to look at some of these different aspects of grace. The first one is the obvious, and that is grace gives life. Grace gives life. And it's this grace that takes us from death into life, or to put it another way, from justice to forgiveness. And we know that Jesus has given us new life and forgiveness of sins. The scripture in Ephesians 2, once... You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. By grace we have been saved. There's another aspect in which grace gives us life. And that is, if if we were under the law or wanted justice done, we would certainly receive the wages of sin. But if we live under God's grace, we don't have to worry, key word there, worry, about the consequences of sin. We're freed up from the guilt, the shame, and the self-loathing. And in this respect, we become free to do God's will. We're freed up from from living life knowing that we might be doomed. To living life knowing we have help now and a better life in the future. The Holy Spirit living in us, and an inheritance in the future. Grace gives life. It allows us to live life to the fullest in the here and now. Grace doesn't always make sense. It's hard to figure this out how it works. Remember the parable of the landowner who sent a servant into town to get the uh, helpers for the harvest? He hired some in the morning. And he hired some at noon and then he hired some late in the day. And at the end of the day, he paid them all the same. Well, the guys that worked the longest took exception to that and they they complained to the landowner. Those paychecks were grossly unfair. It didn't make sense. But I think think the story um, is telling us about what grace is like. God's kind of grace. Grace isn't about finishing first or last. It isn't even about keeping score. It's a gift. Simply a gift. It's not how hard you worked, how long you worked. It's a gift. You can't earn it. It doesn't matter how big or bad or how many sins you have. Grace covers them all. From early on in life, we're taught Different. Early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. (laughs) There's no such thing as a demand your rights. You get what you pay for. Well, we live by these rules. I have lived by these rules. I like to win. I didn't win at Domino's last night. I'm I'm still in mourning. I feel good if I work for what I earn, and yet when I read the Gospels, I'm very aware and thankful that I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm thankful that I'm not getting what I deserve. We're not being judged justly but rather forgiven through grace. We deserve to be in sin prison or stuck struck dead for our sins, and yet we're free and have a clean sin history. The other thing that's Hard to understand is this mechanism through which grace comes to us—the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus comes to earth, dies on a cross, and somehow, the mystery of God, our sins are forgiven. And I know there's a rationale through the Old Testament about the significance of of, of uh, sacrifices, but I still don't understand it. But it was important to God. And the fact is, it worked. We believe that through our faith. Another aspect of of grace is simply that it isn't fair. It isn't fair. I've been good all my life, and look at him. Look at her. And they get here just the same time as I do. (laughs) It isn't fair. But nothing about grace is about fairness. That's the point. It's free. It's a full-life policy that carries us on to eternity. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. To forgive the inexcusable and to have the inexcusable forgiven in us. A gift. So, yeah, grace doesn't always make sense. What else do we know about grace? Grace solves a lot of problems. It solves the problem of sin because sin separates us from God. It leads to death. It causes us internal turmoil and it causes us interpersonal turmoil. It's created havoc throughout all creation. But the eternal consequences of sin are and will be wiped out because of the gift of God's forgiveness through his grace. Grace solves the problem of our being separated from God. God for God, the man he created, has separated himself from his creator. We have separated ourselves from his creator. The one, <clears throat> on the one hand, God loves us. On the other hand, our behavior repulses him. But he desires to see his people in his own image. And he hasn't given up on us. The prophet Micah says, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. So God has every right to inflict retribution on our sin. History tells us, that he once wiped out the whole world with the exception of a boatload of people and animals. Sodom and Gomorrah wiped them out and they paid the price for their sin. And he could hold us accountable for our mistakes and deal with us justly, yet he has reserved the right to clear clear the ledger. In the sin column, we have a grand total of zero, one covered by grace. Another aspect of grace is is grace helps us to understand the uh, character of God. Remember that passage in Ephesians? For God, in his love, his mercy, gave, gave his son, gave us the gift of grace, forgiveness. He sent his son to pay for our sin because he loves us that right there could be a week's worth of messages the depth of god's love and his generosity to us the beautiful thing is we can't work for it we don't earn it we'll never be good enough to to uh, rich enough to buy it but it's a gift another aspect of grace is it comes with a cost God is loving and generous. He sent his son to pay the price for our sins. You know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The grace that we receive cost God. It cost him his son. And it was humiliating and painful journey to purchase our souls. When we offer grace to others, it will cost us. It may cost us our pride. We may have to give up our anger or resentment. Grace may cost our image or social status, and we may have to give up our desire for justice or hurt or to get even. We might even have to give up a possession, or heaven forbid, our finances, for God's message to be heard and seen for his people to treat others the way God treats us. It may cost us. We may have to give something up. But once again, in Philippians, think about that passage where it says Jesus didn't consider it appropriate to, to stay where he was, but he, he gave, gave, us, gave up his, his status, his position in heaven and came to earth to die for us. He gave up everything to come and die for people who are less than deserving. Another aspect of grace is that grace helps us to forgive others. The ability to understand grace in ourselves and the ability to live out and pass on that grace to others. That's what that counselor said. We struggle to apply it to ourselves and to pass it on to others. For some of us, some of the things we've done in the past continue to haunt us. And for some, there's a desire, somehow, maybe if I just work a little harder in the kingdom. If I try to make up for some of those things I've done in the past, or continue to do, maybe God will forgive me. And it's like we either don't believe what God has done through grace, or we don't accept that his grace applies to us. Just imagine what it would be like... uh, For us not to have those memories control us. To live without the guilt and the shame constantly worrying us down. You know, that's just what Satan wants. He wants us to doubt what God has done for us. He uses the same tactic here and now in our lives when it comes to our sin as he did with Adam and Eve. He creates that seed of doubt. Well, God, surely God won't forgive that. Surely you're not worthy of God's grace. Nothing is free, so you better keep working harder. And oh, while you lose sleep um, and you have all these doubts, enjoy that shame and guilt. That's kind of the way Satan thinks. And he wants us to constantly be in a weakened condition in our Christian walk instead of walking freely with those burdens lifted off of us as a result of grace. Grace does help us to forgive others. And the problem is that we've been raised in a Western culture. You know, we were watching those old movies where you steal a horse, you're going to hang. Justice. You cut me off and give me the salute and then honk at me? Man, I am going to ride your bumper for the next five miles. Heaven help you if you stop. And for some reason, we have this innate desire to see justice done, at least to others. And we want the bad guys to pay. We want the child molesters and abusers not to just be locked up, but to be castrated with a rusty knife. We want people to treat us fairly. And when they don't, Look out, because I'm going to get even. That's not grace. That's not God's grace. And some of you can relate to the feelings that I've had, like some of these. But shouldn't we apply grace to our relationships with our neighbors and those we rub shoulders with in community? Doesn't God want us to imitate his, his love, his grace, as we live out Um our own grace filled life? Absolutely. Where is the grace? Where's the grace? There's a lot of ungrace out there. And that's a problem for us in the church. I think we still need to keep working on that. So what do we do when we need to address this problem or these feelings we have that we need to get even, that there ought to be consequences, punishment for others' sins. Romans 12. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on your head. On his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what God says we ought to do. Not easy, is it? Forgiveness and being gracious needs to be taught, it needs to be practiced it's neither neither easy nor clear cut martin luther king said forgiveness is not just an occasional act it's a permanent attitude and what greater gift could christians give to the world than forming a culture that upholds grace so what do i do about forgiveness forgive as you have been forgiven forgive as you have been forgiven on being gracious to others. Think about Jesus' life and ministry and then, model, <clears throat> and then model the things that he did. You know, sometimes we may need to go out of our way to help someone who is not deserving. Isn't that what Jesus did? He came across eternity. He came across the universe. He came out of his way to save those who are undeserving. What if we gave a tip in a kind, soft word to the waiter or waitress who is having a bad day? Can we hold our tongue when we feel the need to defend ourselves? Can we be better listeners? Can we be more empathic rather than advice givers? Can we not complain when things don't go our way? Do we always have to keep score? Table games, yes. (laughs) Do we always have the right? Do we always have to be right and let everybody know it? When was the last time you took time to speak to a panhandler or a homeless person? Just being gracious. Or do we take the time to get to know The mentally ill who hang out on our streets in Nelson I'm actually starting to do that I'm getting to know some of the folks downtown and I had the most interesting conversation of absolutely nothing the other day Um, it was stuff that was just kind of random and made up in the mind and I just tried to carry on the conversation but at least I took time to have a discussion of nothing But it was important to that person, somebody to, to take the time to recognize them. Can we get along and not always have our opinions expressed? Well, we could go on on that topic. Another thing about grace, and I'm just about done here, is that grace levels the playing field. It means we all have to play by the same rules. We're going to be judged by the same way if we judge others it's a little bit humbling, and it's perplexing, too. What do we do with our righteous indignation? What do we do with our anger at criminals, perpetrators, and those who simply do harmful things? There is a place for people who do bad things. It's called jail. And they shouldn't necessarily escape the consequences of their sin. But in the big picture of things, is it possible to forgive them? Is it possible God can forgive them? How do you handle those feelings of wanting to get even when you are the victim? Well, I think it's a challenge for us. We forget too soon that the same grace that covers us is a a grace that we ought to pass on to others. God didn't call us to be bullies. He didn't call us to use intimidation, power, or coercion to change the world. He called us to love and forgive, to serve. Matthew says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same manner that you judge others, you will be judged. Finally, interesting part of grace is that there's a loophole. Don't you love tax loopholes? It's a way of kind of sliding money into that category without being held accountable. You don't have to pay the taxes. The government usually catches them, but it's nice when you can find one. Well, there's a loophole to grace. And it's one that will perplex all of us. Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Or why don't we just sin a lot more so we get a lot more grace? Paul's response God forbid. God forbid. Abuse of God's grace is a bit like uh, this story. Actually, I want to read another story about Daniel. The The potential for grace abuse was brought home to me forcefully in a conversation with a friend I'll call Daniel. Late one night, I sat in a restaurant and listened as Daniel confided to me that he had decided to leave his wife after 15 years of marriage. He had found someone younger and prettier, someone who makes me feel alive like I haven't felt in years. He and his wife had no strong incompatibilities. He simply wanted to change like a man who gets an itch for a new model car. A Christian, Daniel knew well the personal and moral consequences of what he was about to do. His decision to leave would inflict permanent damage on his wife and three children. Even so, he said, the force pulling him toward the younger woman like a powerful magnet was too strong to resist. I listened to Daniel's story with sadness and grief, saying little as I tried to absorb the news. Then during the dessert course, he dropped the bombshell. Actually, Philip, I have an agenda. The reason I wanted to see you tonight was to ask you a question that's been bothering me. You study the Bible. Do you think God can forgive something as awful as I'm about to do? Well, Daniel's question lay on the table like a live snake, and I went through three cups of coffee before I dared attempt an answer. In that interval, I thought long and hard about the repercussions of grace, how I could dissuade my friend from committing a terrible mistake if he knows forgiveness lies just around the corner. There's one catch to grace that I must now mention in the words of C.S. Lewis. St. Augustine says, God gives where he finds empty hands. A man whose hands are full of parcels can't receive a gift. Grace, in other words, must be received. And Lewis explains that what I have termed grace abuse stems from a confusion of condoning and forgiving To condone an evil is simply to ignore it, to treat it as as if it were good. But forgiveness needs to be accepted as well as offered if it is to be complete. And a man who admits no guilt can accept no forgiveness. Interesting. For grace to be received, there must be repentance. We know Jesus came to give life, not condemnation. And many of those that he contacted in in his ministry, he said, go and sin no more. God forbid. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less.